You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 167, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with Max Biancon of Max and the Martians. The New Orleans-based project just released their sophomore full-length, All the Same, via Perpetual Doom Records. The incredible album sees Biancon sharpening his sound and colorfully blending folk and country with nice touches of 60s rock and plenty of psychedelic jangle. During our interview, we chatted about Max's background studying jazz guitar in school and how that led him to venture out to New Orleans from the West Coast. Max also shared how his work performing with traditional New Orleans jazz street band Tuba Skinny has helped him grow as a songwriter and how his collaborative relationship with Ross Farb of Video Age shaped the sound of all the same. Plus, we talked about our mutual late discovery of Neil Young's On the Beach, the time his band opened for King Khan in Oregon, and much more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, here for another episode of Look at My Records. I'm here with Max Bien Khan of Max and the Martians. And it sounds like your pup is also there, which is cool because I love dogs. So, yeah, I've got there's two dogs in the room right now, but one of them is, yeah, he's making noise. It's all good. <laughs> this is an outlet for pups as well to express themselves. Yeah, they're really getting their time to shine right now during <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> all sorts of ca- dog cameos. <laughs> That's good. So your new record, All the Same, is out now. Another record, you sat on it for a little bit, and I'm excited to really get into talking about it. It's an awesome, awesome record. I really like it a lot, everyone. It's out now via Perpetual Doom. But before we really get into the record how how are you doing it's been a really crazy year for musicians this past year have you been holding up have you been spending your time with the change in circumstances yeah it's been a weird year well i'm i live in new orleans and obviously everyone is everyone's shut down but here it was so apparent when it shut down just because there's always music everywhere and then it was mid-march it just you know pull the plug on it all. But I, I do play music in some jazz bands, especially this one group called Tuba Skinny. And we play acoustic, so we've been able to rehearse outdoors. And we actually started playing outside of one of the bars we used to play at in the fall. So that's been, we do that every Friday night, so that's been good, keeping sharp. And we also have been doing like live streams, which that band has a following around the world and stuff. We've been able to do live streams like once a month and 
generate a little bit of funds for everyone to survive. That's great. Are you originally from New Orleans? And if not, how'd you wind up there? I actually am from San Francisco. I was born and raised there. Um, I ended up in New Orleans about 10 years ago, and I came here uh, from Portland, Oregon. I was living up in Oregon. I went to school in Oregon uh, at the University of Oregon, Eugene, and lived in Portland. But I came to New Orleans about 10 years ago, mostly to play music, although I didn't have a real plan. But I studied jazz guitar in college and was kind of turned off by music school a little bit, as is a common story, I think. And I kind of stopped doing the jazz thing. They were focused more on like contemporary jazz, post bebop stuff and whatever. So when I moved down to New Orleans and as a songwriter, essentially, and folk musician, a rock and roll musician, I started seeing these groups on the street playing early jazz, 30s jazz, like early Louis Armstrong, Jelly Roll Morton, that kind of sound. And I was just drawn to it. It was like, this is the perfect fusion of like, what I, what I knew more about jazz, like playing later jazz and pop music. And it's really got its roots in the blues. When I came down to New Orleans, I really started focusing on that, actually. I was, I've always written songs and I just kept writing songs, but I started kind of studying traditional music on the street and learning like that. And eventually that became my livelihood. Yeah, I know New Orleans is really well known for what's termed street music, right? That's what it's called. Yeah, I mean, we've got such good weather most of the year and there's like obviously a huge tourism industry. Um, But even now during the pandemic when there's not really tourists, we've been playing on the street once a week in front of a bar that we used to play at. And um, yeah, people just, they're out and about, you know, and it's great. It brings a lot of energy to the streets. There's the tradition of brass bands, you know, parading. There's a whole, there's all this, a whole world of music here that's really designed to be played outdoors, which is cool. Yeah, and it's interesting. I didn't know about your background uh, studying jazz in school. It seems like New Orleans playing street music and being a part of that is like a great way to explore jazz but be freer and more creative with it it seems like the antithesis of a rigid structured program in school studying jazz yeah yeah it's like the folk tradition of like learning songs orally or just from your peers you know whatever however you learn it but just getting songs passed down A lot of songs I learned that I hadn't even done the homework and like looked at the source recordings for years because I just learned them from playing with folks. You end up learning a lot from the source recordings, (laughs) though. I do think, but it is amazing to be able to learn all this music just from other folks who are playing it. It's very, it's very much alive, even if the songs are a hundred years old. Yeah. So how how do you think living there has influenced your sound in your solo music? Is it something that is more a feeling or an approach to writing music more so than the actual sound of jazz and New Orleans street music that you'd say has influenced your solo work like on this record? Yeah, totally. I think what I've gotten from playing with folks down here is I really appreciate a simple song because people can learn it quickly and then it's about making it something that has a lot of life and energy or whatever magic it is, but taking something simple. So I do write a lot of songs that have kind of simple forms, although I like to stray away from that too. But um, it's fun to have tunes where you can just literally like play with anyone live 
you know, there's so many great musicians in New Orleans and so many people are busy. So a lot of people call on different folks for, for gigs and to have music that everyone can kind of pick up and just make sound good is, is nice. Um, there's also, you know, I've learned a lot about music just from the songs I played in New Orleans, like um, song structures, like old yeah. early jazz and blues, which is closer to pop music than maybe like bebop might be, you know, it's really, there's, there, there are tunes that you can play on an acoustic guitar and sing. Yeah, I've learned a lot about that. I also, for me, since I like all kinds of music, I, f I feel that Max and the Martians, the solo stuff has kind of become an outlet for something totally, totally. different for me. I was gonna say which that, is, yeah. Which is important. Like I love earning, learning old tunes and I could, I spend, you know, it's a full-time job doing that, but I, I listen to all sorts of stuff and I want to be able to play, play kind of, you know, different music. So the Martians is an outlet for me to actually play that stuff. Yeah. So you would say, cause I was going to specifically, you read my mind. I was going to specifically ask you, you're involved in tuba skinny, which is something totally different sounding than your solo work. So you'd say it is really important for you to kind of have different musical outlets, specifically Max and the Martians sounds something totally different than what you would do with tuba skinny uh, uh, playing jazz and things like that yeah yeah i don't just sit around at home listening to old jazz records all day long um you know i also i didn't pick up traditional jazz until really nine ten years ago and i certainly didn't consider it something serious in my life until about six years ago where i was i was like well this is actually something worth really pursuing in, instead of just a way to like be able to play music with good people. I started focusing more on that music, but I've been playing in rock and roll bands um, since, you know, since I was in middle school. And I just, yeah, I just love rock and I love songs, like a songwriter kind of songs. And the combination of uh, songwriter stuff, like folk, folk singer, country music, rock and roll and soul all kind of exists in New Orleans. There's a community of folks down here that have that sound. Uh, there's a band, the Deslons, who are great, have a few records out. Um, but that, that is a sound down here. So I feel that's helped me focus, at least, the band. On do you write songs in, in that vein, too? And if you do, how do you keep them distinct in your, in your mind creatively from something that you'd write for Max and the Martians? Uh, in, in the folk singer vein or the in, jazz? Uh, jazz vein. I do. I have recently started trying to compose for Tuba Skinny. Um, our band leader, who's the cornet player, Shay Cohn, uh, she's written f songs for the band for years. And some of the other bandmates have written a little bit. And then, yeah, I've actually tried to write some tunes for the band and it's, it's a dream come true, really. That's awesome. Um, some of it has been songs that I thought maybe could have been Max and the Martians songs, but they, just didn't seem to, no lyrics were coming to me. That was the first one that I brought to the band. There was a song, I just could not think of anything. And I brought it to the band and I was like, hey, can we just try to play this instrumental? And, and then during, during the last year of COVID, I've written like, I think three, three songs for the band. And I hope to do more of that. Is, do you find yourself entering a different mindset when you're writing songs for that 
versus your solo stuff? Yeah, definitely. It's, well, especially um, because I'm writing for this band, specific band, I just had this idea yeah. of like how, how they can play the horns or the leaders, you know, and they're really, everything is based around them. So I just kind of envision one area, one section of the song might be like, oh, this could be really sweet on the clarinet or this one needs the collective like New Orleans where everyone's playing. And so, yeah, I've, it's, it's definitely different. With Max and the Martians, I'm thinking less about the vibe of the song when I'm writing it. Um, that usually comes later. Usually a song that I write for the Martians is just me on an acoustic guitar or me walking down the levee singing, singing something in my head. So it really does just start bare bones. Like it could be played like a folk song. It could be, and then, you know, oftentimes it's really natural how it translates to the band, but sometimes there's a little bit of tinkering, but with writing with, for a jazz band, I've got a pretty clear idea in my, in my mind of what the feel is going to be. Cool. And I know you, you busk with this band. You had mentioned you're, you're doing that tonight. Uh, what are, what are those experiences like for you? Do you get to meet a lot of new people uh, in your community through that? Yeah, it's it's a great experience. I mean, it's it's some of the greatest days I've ever had in my life in New Orleans have been sunny days in the fall or the spring where you're playing on the street. The French Quarter is, you know, usually is bustling with tourists, but also friends biking by or hanging out. There's a lot of characters in the quarter, a lot of uh, house on... I guess homeless people who are in bad shape and there are characters around there and everyone, you know, they got nicknames and they're, they're sweet to us. I think that being a musician when you're playing on the street, um, besides uh, some businesses don't like it. I don't really, I don't really understand <laughs> I don't why, get that, yeah. I don't get it. But generally, uh, people are very appreciative of, of your presence. And so you end up chatting with a lot of folks. Um, it's kind of, it's also a great opportunity to, to get more gigs, to get hired. And um, it's a good way to expose your music to new people. It's a great way to try stuff out because you just, there's no pressure. You're not working for anybody. Yeah. Low risk. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's cool. That must be a lot of fun. So let's dive into all the same I read you were sitting on it for quite some time, and I'm wondering, what's that been like for you? And since you have a little, I guess, distance time-wise from when you wrote the songs and when you recorded the songs, what comes to mind when you think of, uh, when you hear the record now? Yeah, um, there's a lot that that happened between then and now. And um, it was, what happened was I recorded a, um, maybe 16 or 17 songs over the course of a couple years. And I put a few of them out on an EP a couple years ago called Curtains. And I was sitting on the rest of this. I didn't know how to put it out, but I finally had a little bit of motivation when everything shut down a year ago to, to figure out how to put it out. I was going to just do it myself. And then I started reaching out to folks and I found Lou at Perpetual Doom, which was amazing but yeah as far as the actual album itself i think i didn't think too much about it when i was writing these songs because i like to write songs kind of in the moment and sometimes i like to make them a little vague you know uh, sometimes i write really personal specific stuff but try to open it up and to me a lot of these songs when i was writing them were kind of 
fun, carefree rock songs. Simple stuff, not really dealing with much. And there, there is that in the record. There's like this, um, well, it's called All the Same. There's this kind of like, whatever, like nothing matters kind of feel to it. But um, after having a bunch of time and figuring out a playlist for the record, and then I realized like there was this underlying darkness to it all. And a lot of that was, go was coming from the fact that when I started making this record, my family found out that my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And so that was this huge thing going on in my life. I was, at that point, you don't really know how to process it. I didn't know how to process it. But looking back, I definitely um, was able to see this thing that was going on in all these songs. Um, songs about heartbreak or whatever, you know, it's suddenly heartbreak becomes like, it's more than that. It's like your heart's torn when you lose a family member. And that's kind of, it's like next level. It's like you're dealing with heartbreak, but then you're dealing with an existential crisis at the same time. Yeah, I was, and I, you know, I'm very sorry to hear hear that about your your mom. And when I was listening to the record and looking at the title, I think my first couple of listens, as you had alluded to, to me, the, the phrase all the same initially seemed like kind of nihilistic to me almost. Mm -hmm. But then I think I, after a couple of more listens, I think it didn't seem as cynical as I had originally thought, kind of. It, it didn't really seem super nihilistic, more of like a letting go of control in a more positive sense and kind of a moving forward sense. And I'm just curious what you thought, what the title and the songs mean to you uh, with respect to that um, at this point in time. Yeah, I think it's. I think it is a little misleading, uh, calling it calling the record all the same. I mean, I like that it's misleading, maybe, but I agree with you. It's to me, it's what all the same means is actually the little things are all the same. It's like the little things don't matter. Like, and what you you said, kind of like a release or like freedom. Like, there's a little bit of that in the mood towards the end of the record where you're kind of like. Yeah, all this stuff does is really hard, all this stuff, but most of that doesn't even matter. Um, and so there's kind of, yeah, there's like this kind of carefree thing that it's, it is a little misleading and it's like, I'm not nihilistic. I, you know, whatsoever. Yeah, it's like when you, re when I really got into it and listened to it, I think that was my first impression was it was like, oh, all the same. It doesn't matter what happens. But then as you let it set in a little more, you could see that I feel like your real intention was that the, you know, kind of more of like seeding control in a, in a positive way so that you can proceed and move forward with life and in a more positive sense. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there is a lot of positivity in it. A lot of a lot of freedom once once you can kind of once you can let go and um, just embrace the fact that this is your time here and yeah, yeah. what are you going to do with it yeah I think I I you know I t I have gone through cynical times in my life and everyone for sure and it's fun to yeah and there's a, there's definitely sarcasm in the record and maybe some of it <laughs> yeah shouldn't be taken totally at face value but how, you can't really. <laughs> Sometimes when I when I play songs live, the sarcasm comes through better because 
it's easy to be more tongue in cheek when you're in person. <laughs> People can um, see your face as you see say. See me smiling things. as yeah. I'm saying exactly. something dark. Yeah. But. Yeah, there's definitely a, a bunch of smirk-inducing phrases on the record, which I'm, I'm looking forward to asking you about a few of them specifically. I did want to talk a little bit about the recording process for this record. Seems like you had a big supporting cast play with you on the record. Uh, wh what's your relationship with them? And in the context of uh, Tuba Skinny and other projects you're involved uh, in, is this kind of the people that played on the record? Is it like a collaborative community that you're a part of where you play on their records and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. We, there definitely is that going on uh, with a lot of the folks on this record where we will support each other. I play on a lot of sessions um, playing bass or sometimes guitar on sessions. And with this, with this group, a lot of a lot of what it came down to was who was I playing with at the at that time? Yeah, there was um, a few band members who actually left town during the record during this whole time when I was making the record. So uh, my friend Camille had left town. So later on, I was doing other songs and I wanted backup singers. So I called some other friends who sang backup: um, Sabine McCalla and Gina Leslie. They're both songwriters and band leaders too. So yeah, there's definitely this thing in New Orleans where. A lot of folks who write songs and lead bands are also just great musicians who can play multiple in instruments and add vocal harmonies or whatever. Um, yeah, so there's different sounds on the record because there was like one session with uh, members of this band Video Age where they're yeah, playing bass and drums band. and that's like, they're a great band and that is like very, the way that they play is one way and then some of the other songs were some other folks playing in the rhythm section and got a different feel but yeah new orleans is is a uh, full of songwriters playing and other songwriter yeah. bands yeah always love hearing about a community like that musicians playing on friends records and vice versa that's always really awesome to hear and i'm it's cool to learn about the new orleans music scene too because i haven't really spoken to anyone ab about it so yeah we're not really on the radar but that's kind of the nature of New Orleans. <laughs> There's so much great music, but no music industry, which might be might be a good thing in some ways, but hopefully s some of these folks will get more attention. I mentioned the Deslons. Um, they've gotten some attention. Uh, there's Esther Rose, who's a bandmate of mine. She's got her own band and she's starting to get a little bit of attention too. She's putting out a new record soon. I do, I'm familiar with, cause my friend's label put out one of their records, not their most recent one uh, on R Rhyme and Reason Records, Sweet Crude. Oh, Sweet Crude, yeah. I don't actually know those guys personally, but yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, I, they're, they're pretty good, I like them. You mentioned Video Age, you worked with Thras Farb of Video Age, is co-producer and co-engineer on the record. Uh, why'd you decide to have him on board as a co-producer and uh, how did that collaboration uh, inform the sound of the record, would you say? Oh yeah, well, Ross has been a huge, a huge influence on me like since we started recording together. Um, I called on him, the first, the for very first record, I'll, to be quick, the very first record I made, I recorded myself and I called Ross to mix it. And so he mixed my first album for me. 
and I was just blown away. I, I was I was like, well, I should be recording with him rather than just getting him to mix. But the next time around, it was kind of a casual producer situation. He was more of an engineer, but when we got down to doing overdubs and the mixing is really when he was starting to shine. His band Video Age is just phenomenal and they have gone from, you know, they have like their first records like indie rock kind of guitar based music and they've really gone yeah, totally different direction. Into the mid '80s yeah. with some synthesizers and stuff. Um, but Ross and I have this common ground of well, a lot of things. He's from Louisiana, actually. He's from New Orleans, um, so he definitely really appreciates root music from New Orleans. He doesn't really play it himself, um, but he's played bass in my band before. But we have this common ground also with just loving Brian Eno, really. <laughs> Brian, you know, is like the ultimate common ground for us. And he helped me out with a little bit of sound design on this record where it's like taking a melody, doubling it with some synthesizers, doing a few things. It was subtle on this, on this record. We didn't do much, but doing stuff to just take it out of the world that it originally started in and creating kind of a new world for each song. That was, and he's great at mixing. He mixes songs one at a time. Um, he did these, he did these songs actually on a board um, into his computer. So he was mixing with his hands and automating stuff like that. And, um, but he really spends time on each song and creates a, creates its own space for the song. Did, did you approach recording this record with an idea of what you wanted it to sound like? Because I definitely hear a, a sonic change in direction compared to your your first record. I feel like this this record sounds like crisper almost. Yeah, I, I kind of swore off reverb. <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds that, cleaner, that was, that definitely. Was, it definitely sounds cleaner sounding. Yeah, some of that was just circumstance because um, half of the re almost half of the record was recorded in our old practice space that we had. That was this tiny tiny room um, and it just the only way to get a good sound in that room is just to get the driest sound possible yeah yeah close micing um, I have gone through phases of you know I love 60s rock and roll and I love that sound of the lush 60s sound is one of my favorites but I've you know I kind of started getting more into early 70s stuff again when we were making this record and I really like that approach of just kind of simple and dry. Everything is there with purpose. So with this record, and that's also something that Ross just thrives on. Like that's the sound he's the best at, in my opinion, is getting a really crisp sound that's interesting and not just too clean, you know? Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. And, and, and yeah. it hits the, the right mark in between because of course, overproduction, I consider a sin for sure. Um, you know, I'm sure you did too. So you don't want to like overproduce something. You can but yeah. you know, you kind of want to strike that nice balance. Yeah, and I just think Ross was—he was the guy. He's also just—he really records so many artists in New Orleans. I mean, he's—he's he's busy. He's made so many records for great, great folks in this town recently, especially. And he just got it down. He—he he streamlines his process. He's quick. He's reliable. He never loses. He never messes up. There's never the uh oh moment. 
when you're doing a recording session with him. So I just, I love working with him. I'm actually working on a new record with him right now. Awesome. That's exciting. That he's actually truly co-producing. This one was like, I brought him a bunch of demos and ahead of time. And he's been, he's been going with it. And it's, it's really great working with him. And this time around too, now we have a little bit more focus. Um, so more Brian Eno in there. <laughs> No complaints from me. Love the Eno for sure. Something I noticed you did on this record, you pair like serious, sometimes sadder lyrics with more uplifting instrumentation and like happier sonic moods. Is that something you've always tended to do with your songs? And what do you find attractive about that contrast? Yeah, that is something I guess I've always kind of done with my songs. Um, Every once in a while, I'll write a slow, like slit your wrist kind (laughs) of just really brutal song but generally with the martians um it's a dance band and uh in new orleans um when we play live folks everyone likes to dance and so kind of started out as a dance band originally so that was that's kind of where the feel came from um also you know talking about playing traditional music and it's blue the blues to me is is the perfect combination of sad and happy, like uplifting music and really sad lyrics. Same thing with like with country music, lots of folk music. I think it's just a it's a nice combination. You know, so much country music is just fun and melodic and sounds cheerful, but they're just brutal lyrics. Yeah, brutal, totally. So I do I like that. Uh yeah, so a lot of it is just oh and another songwriter like Ray Davies. Um, everyone's favorite, but you know, he's, he does a really good job of kind of like keeping his music pretty upbeat always. And, but there's a darkness in there, which I like. Yeah. Speaking of your lyrics, I was curious who you draw influence from lyrically. There's a lot of really wry, sharp lines scattered throughout the record. Um, I think of on Milky Way, I'm going to lose my mind before it runs away. And the first line to open the record, I'll just wait in the building. It's all this, uh, the burning building. It's all the same to you and me. Um, so who influences your lyric writing? And do you have any non-musician uh, lyrical influences, writers or anything like that? Yeah. So I mentioned, I just mentioned Ray Davies. He yeah. is a huge influence on me, especially when I was in my early 20s. He's great at the rye, kind of just cutting lines. And same goes for, um, well, there's all sorts of people I could I could list, but I would say that some of it is is comes from country music. I think the one-liner yeah. is such a, yeah. it's a good <laughs> thing in country. Like, you know, you can have a one-liner and just, that's the title of your song and just write it around that. It's a nice trick. Uh, a little bit of wordplay, a little bit of just simple fun with words is all over that. It's cool because it makes you want to listen to the lyrics when there's one line that grabs your attention like that. Whereas a lot of songs you could kind of just gloss over the lyrics, but when you hear a line, kind of like I thought it was similar to the way David Berman does in his music where there's a line that really grabs your attention like because it's clever i'm gonna lose my mind before it runs away and then you're paying close attention to to what comes next oh thanks yeah david berman is so good at that i mean 
Yeah. He makes me want to listen to his songs three times in a row when I'm really deep listening because there's so much in there. I also, yeah, for, well, I guess my influences have changed over time. Yeah. But I always get influenced by what I'm reading at the time. Uh, some of the stuff, like, for example, in um, the song Death Dance, some of those words I was like reading, it was Narcissus and Goldman, which is like, you know, a, a Hesse book. And it's, I don't know. I was, whenever I was reading that book, there was, it's a great book. It's not one of my favorites, but it was a great book. But there was a conversation that they were having towards the end of the book. And something about it just really resonated with me. And I wrote Death Dance based on that. So I'll get that. Um, same thing, uh, like the song Lay Your Body, which is the last song on the record. I can't n name the poem, but I was reading a Neruda poem. And some of those words in the poem jumped out at me in that song. It'll be like an essence of a, or maybe even a line and just kind of like, you know, you internalize it and write, write from that. These days, um, my, my partner, my girlfriend, Mick Grantham, she's a poet and a, and a writer. And she's been a huge influence on me recently in the last year or so with my writing because I, I just am inspired by seeing someone just write words and not even worry about music. And, it, and it's nice to be able to bounce ideas off of her. Do you typically write separate from music or when you're writing lyrics, are you thinking of a melody at the same time or is it a little bit of both? It's a little bit of both, but I would say like the best my favorite songs that I've written have come together, like uh, it comes at once, at least the hook or yeah. or the opening line. My friend uh, Duff Thompson, who's a songwriter who just put out a great record, he spends time in New Orleans a lot, he's Canadian. He writes some of the best opening lines to his song. <laughs> and like one of his songs is, I can do a good crab walk, honey child, when I want. And just, you're just like, whoa. Um, and I just, he, he's a great songwriter. I play bass in his band quite a bit. And uh, I do think like the opening line of a song can really be just the moment that makes the song. Sometimes I have a hard time starting from like the middle. You know, if I have a chorus, I'll have a hard time going back and starting the song. Sometimes you can just then start with the chorus. It doesn't really matter. But I do think that, yeah, the opening line thing, that, that'll come to me with, um, if I'm walking the dog or if I'm tinkering around on the guitar. And then from there, um, I do some writing. I, I do like to sit down and, and write and then edit and shuffle, shuffle stuff around. But the initial spark is usually, that's hard to force. That's hard for me to, hard for me to force. I've got all sorts of words written down with no music and all sorts of music that doesn't have words and I can't seem to put them together, you know? Interesting, interesting. So I think my favorite song on the record is Please Hold On. Really beautiful, aching type of song about loss and grief. You wrote it in multiple parts, I know. How did it come together and what prompted you to finish the song then? Yeah, I wrote that song years ago um, when my grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, who's my mom's dad. Um, my my dad's mom, my grandmother on that side had had Alzheimer's when I was younger and I saw it all happen. And when he was diagnosed, he never actually went that far down the line with it, luckily. But I wrote that song about like for him because 
I was thinking about this guy. He's, he lived an amazing life. Um, he lived most of his life in St. Louis and just did so much stuff in the Jewish community and he did a bunch of civil rights stuff in the 60s. It's amazing, wow. Uh, doing really cool stuff, a uh, social worker and um, he just has so many stories. So I was just thinking of, like if this guy with endless stories is gonna forget them, that is just tragic. So that's kind of, that's what that song was coming from. That was the feeling of that song. And you know, I'm not gonna say that I went <laughs> and interviewed him and got a bunch of stories. I should have done that. My brother did some of that, um, oh, wow. which is cool. Uh, my brother's a journalist, so he's better at that kind of stuff than I am. That's where that song came from. And then I, it had a slightly different form and I've played it over the years. But then when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, uh, that song took on a whole new meaning to me. Yeah. And she had already known that song because I wrote it for her dad. So I kind of rewrote it, didn't change any of the words, but just kind of rewrote it to make it more, the, the mood fit my mood at the time. And um, that's kind of how that song came to be. And there were, that one was actually recorded. Um, that one wasn't recorded by Ross Farb, actually. That one was recorded by my friends who have mashed potato records in New Orleans, and they've got this old Ampex reel-to-reel -reel machine. So that one is a different recording process. Um, so that's a special tune, yeah. Death Dance, which you had mentioned a little earlier, also another song that really stands out to me because it's definitely the sparsest track on the record, uh, sonically, most stripped down. And that's kind of its strength, I feel like. It derives strength from the fact that, you know, it's mostly just acoustic guitar with some other guitars later in the song as well. Uh, was that something that you knew when you, you wrote it, that it was done, that, you know, you didn't want any drums on it? or bass or things like that? Um, no, actually, that song has gone through so many different wow, cool. incarnations. There's actually a B-side of that song, which I'm hopefully gonna release in a couple months. We'll see, but uh, there's a few B-sides from the record, but that song was originally recorded as like a rock and roll. Wow, interesting. Sounds kind of like um, village green rock, like kinks kind kinks, of yeah. jangly. Um, and then actually Jordan, uh, the other guitar player in the band at the time, Jordan Odom, who's on the record, suggested just record it like how you wrote it, like that acoustic, because I used to play it acoustic around the campfire. And it's a really cool, it was a really cool band song, but um, this was kind of at the end of the process of most of the album, and I recorded that just at home on my, um, on my four track, on my tape machine. And yeah, it definitely made more sense. <laughs> and it also just fit the record. There's enough jangle already on the record, so. Yeah, that's interesting to me because I'll ask a lot of musicians, songwriters, hey, this is a more stripped down song. How'd you determine that it was going to be a more stripped down song? And they're like, oh, I just felt like it was done. So it's interesting to hear the opposite of that, that you did flesh it out and think, oh, I'm going to go back to the way I originally wrote it. I actually just re-recorded the song in a whole new version too, that's gonna be on another album. Death Dance is going through all the all the incarnations. Love to hear it. Yeah. It's one of those songs where it's like, I never knew the place, but I do think that stripped down in this album, it just made a lot of sense. Totally. 
Tell me about Love on Vacation. I love the opening line again, talking about opening lines. I've been waiting for the summer, but the summer came too fast. Kind of reminds me when I hear that of this phenomenon that we all kind of go through, feeling that we go through where, you know, we really want something and then we get it. And then we're not sure like how to handle it or it's not what we expected it to be. So tell me a little bit about uh, that song. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That song was, um, it's kind of like a cryptic song even to me. Um, But it was, that's definitely one of those songs where the the opening line was just the first thing that came. And it's a little bit nonsensical. But yeah, I I agree. It's like, it's, it's like hoping for something. It's that, it comes from that feeling of, just longing. It's like the f- forever longing that, you know, you kind of have. The other thing is in New Orleans, because the summers get so hot and so slow that pe- people kind of clear out. It's a different vibe. And I often would go on these long tours with Tuba Skinny. We, we just leave town for a month or so or two months sometimes. It's that feeling of kind of like, the, the, that's kind of maybe what it, it's like, I'm used to waiting for the summer. Like the summer is like going to be this great thing. And then yeah, suddenly yeah. it's like, what, wait, we're all gone. Like what, what is this? <laughs> and then, and then it's kind of like the school year where like everyone trickles back. A lot of musicians, a lot of people stay in New Orleans all, the, all year round, but touring musicians trickle back in the fall. And, uh, and it is that feeling where it's like, wait, oh, the summer's over. <laughs> it's like, school starting again it's like that feeling at at the end of summer where you're like i just want more of that but i don't even know what i was doing with it in the first place yeah i feel like you kind of explore that on lust will linger a little bit too with this concept of love survives kind of never dies eternally for worse or better there's that line yeah that's that's one of those songs about someone who doesn't really know what they want but it's like desperate for a positive spin on things or, you know, just, I just want like, I guess that, well, that's the way, the way you just put it is kind of the way I feel. Yeah. It's like love never dies. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Lust might not go, <laughs> yeah. I, lust might not go away. I really don't know if that's good, but it, I do know that like, I want to, you know, be friends with you. <laughs> that's kind of where that song's coming from. Do you have a favorite song on the record? Well, I guess Please hold on. It's probably my favorite song. Oh shit! We're both have the same favorite song. (laughs) Okay, here's my my other favorite song on the record is "What It Means," which is a deep track. Yeah, good track. And that one I never really thought much about. Uh, It was a song that actually never played live, and worked it out before we went in the studio, and we arranged it in the studio and recorded it. Never played it live since. Um, and the but it came to life because uh, the guitar player, Jordan, wrote this ending, which is this kind of, it takes the song from, a, the song kind of starts out as maybe like an early rock and roll or like doo-wop kind of yeah. thing. It's maybe got a little bit of like that Beatles playing doo-wop feel or something. But then at the end, he does this guitar part that like projects it into uh modern times and i really like that about that song it's kind of it kind of transports at the end and then the other thing about that tune is i kind of never thought much about the words and that's another one that once i had some hindsight um i realized like what i might have been writing about or 
didn't realize I was writing about um, at the time, which was stuff like I was talking about with my mom. It's a song about like how you feel when your world shifts, when you get the news, when you get the phone call or whatever it is. And suddenly everything is different, you know, whatever that is. And it's just kind of an open-ended song about like, you're just realizing that. And you just, you're just aware that now, now the world is different. I don't know what's next. So true. All right. Now we're going to play a couple of tracks from Max and the Martians. Brand new album, All the Same. It is out now via Perpetual Doom. We're going to hear Please Hold On, the title track, All the Same, and Death Dance. Don't come right 
I belong to you Now I long for you Nothing belongs anymore Time will still go on It passes through your song You say you've got no cares Your lust is your despair Empty hands and a frozen heart At the center of the death dance It's the pictures in my mind I can't hear a word they're saying at me They're just passing me by We just heard three songs from Max and the Martians' brand new album, All the Same. We heard Please Hold On, followed it up with the title track, All the Same, and then wrapped it up with Death Dance. Everyone, if you would like to purchase a copy of this record, you could get it at maxandthemartians.bandcamp.com. It's available on vinyl now. Max picked some records from my record collection. We're going to talk about them. Starting off with Neil Young, Walk On, off of On the Beach. So something funny related to me about this record was I'd never really listened to it until the pandemic started. And then I became obsessed with it. And I'm pretty sure it's my favorite Neil Young record now. I was always a big fan of after the gold rush while I was growing up because my parents would play it a lot. But I think this has supplanted that in my mind as my favorite Neil Young record. This is a really good album. I have the exact same story with the, the album. When I, I, I started listening, <laughs> funny. I started listening to it maybe um, five years ago, Yeah, but yeah. I, I, yeah, same with me. I grew up on Neil Young. Um, my mom always had harvest yeah. in, in the CD changer in our car. So that I listened to a million times. And after the gold rush and everybody knows this is nowhere. I just grew up on the late 60s, early 70s, Neil Young. And then um, and then all of a I sudden this tonight's... mid 70s record. Yeah, <laughs> Neil in the 70s. It's like, yeah. I mean, he is 
one of the best artists ever at like adapting to the times. And I think that this record, I don't even know if adapting is fair. I think he just is, he's evolving himself. Um, but yeah, this record, it's, it's like crisp and it's loose. I mean, it just everything that's good about Neil Young. And I love that this song is just kind of easy going and he's, you know, it's like people talking him down, but he doesn't care. And I just, yeah, I love this song. And when I first heard it, it was the same thing. I, it was eye opening. It was like, I didn't know that it was not even that different, but it does sound like such a shift for his, for his music from the late 60s stuff. All right, next, Throwing Knives by your friends, Video Age and fellow New Orleansers, I think, New Orleansites, maybe. I don't know which one is correct. I think it's New Orleanians. <laughs> New Orleanians. There we go. Yeah, I that believe. totally makes sense. <laughs> off of it's their, a mouthful. Yeah. Off of their album, Living Alone. Yeah, I don't remember when i first heard this record but i was a big fan of this band almost immediately and as we mentioned earlier in the interview they've definitely evolved and changed from this new record but this record is also really good their new record is also amazing yeah everything they do is amazing but this this is the i just remember seeing them live playing this stuff off their first record and it kind of blew my mind because just hearing a, a rock band in New Orleans that was playing the stuff that sounded like the records I grew up listening to, like the late 70s rock and roll that I loved. And they're just, they just have it down. Yeah, and they've been really inspiring to me and I've played a lot of music with them over the years. How'd you originally connect with them? Was it just through local gigs and the community? Yeah, it was through the community. It was through my friend Jordan Odom, who played guitar in the Martians for a while and then moved to Los Angeles, but he kind of was a good crossover because he was friends with me in the kind of quasi country scene that's here. And he bridged the gap. He was, he's like, yo, you gotta be friends with these guys. These guys are doing <laughs> what you like. <laughs> yeah, nice. I was kind of out of it. I only really knew like street music and uh, this like, you know, it's almost like a crust punk scene in New Orleans. I'm not a crust punk myself, but there's this <laughs> like don't look side like of New Orleans <laughs> that's, that's like, acoustic, like acoustic music. It's based around that. And and these guys, um, it's funny too, because yeah, like I said, Ross is from Louisiana. My friend Jordan, who introduced me to them is also from Louisiana. So a lot of people growing up here are playing, are actually playing indie rock <laughs> and it's good. Next, Vegetables by the Beach Boys off of Smiley Smile. I always appreciate someone getting weird. Yeah, this is such a great weird song. Great, great harmonies and 
sounds too. So many good sounds. Yeah. Van Dyke Parks is just an amazing lyricist. I love his records too. My favorite vegetable. I tried to kick the ball, but my tinny flew right off. I'm red as a next. I think I knew by Kate Laban off of Mug Museum. This is a well-executed duet, which I think is one of the coolest things in music when it works well. Like, like the Nancy and Lee record. Um, I just love it when there's a duet that doesn't sound cheesy, that just works with the song. Um, I also, this is another record that blew my mind when I first heard it because I just didn't know that people were playing this kind of rock and roll now and it sounds like familiar but very new at the same time. And it's one of my favorite rock and roll albums to come out in the last decade. Next, New Feelings by the Talking Heads off of their first record, 77. Oh yeah, well I put this one on there because um, we've been talking so much about Brian Eno and this is the Talking Heads album they made before working with Brian yeah. Eno. And it's just, I think it's so cool to hear the band just as a band. And this song jumps out to me from that record, just as one of my favorites. Um, I don't know. Some of the words too, it's like, thinking about my friends <laughs> really <laughs> resonates with me during COVID. Me um, too. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Brian Eno, song On Some Faraway Beach off of Here Come the Warm Jets. This song just makes me feel at home, like I'm on, at San Francisco, sitting on the beach looking out at the ocean. And I can really relate to the feeling of kind of losing yourself at the ocean, which is vaguely what I get out of the lyrics of this song. And then, of course, just the textures that he creates on this tracker so good. I kind of think of it as a palate cleanser song. <laughs> yeah, totally. Palate cleansers very helpful in that respect. Last track, Welfare Bread by King Khan off of What Is. Yeah, I picked this one out. I gotta admit, I haven't listened to them in years, but I, when I first heard them, I, was, I played a show with them in Oregon when I was in my early 20s. And they blew my mind because they were just this huge band. Just They sounded really good, but it was sloppy. It was like everything I wanted out of a rock and roll show. Yeah, what was that like playing a gig with King Khan? He seems 
crazy. Yeah, we didn't talk to him. <laughs> I didn't really talk to him. I talked to, um, it was fun. It was like a, a little show uh, on the campus of the University of Oregon. They were pretty good at getting good acts to come through and then get local bands to open up for them. Uh, but yeah, they were, it was wild. It was a wild party. It was so much fun. And then after the show, I was talking to the saxophone player, one of the sax players in the band, who's like, you know, German, so he's got a thick accent. Yeah. And, and he said something along the lines like, you and me were similar because we both know how to play our instruments, but we don't make it sound like we do. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this guy's onto something. <laughs> and that actually stuck with me for a while. I was in music school at the time too. And I was like, wow, this, this is the best thing I've learned in a long time. Just, you don't have to make it sound like you know how to play your instrument well. So what'd you play when you were in music school? You played jazz guitar or? Yeah, I played jazz guitar in school. It was like mostly, I kind of I backed away from the school yeah, uh, yeah. after a while. But yeah, it was, they were focused on everything from the 50s on really. They didn't touch at all on 30s jazz. So it kind of, later in my life, I was like, how could I have gone to music school for jazz guitar? And they didn't, we didn't look at Eddie Lang or Lonnie Johnson or even Django Reinhardt. It's like, how can you, it's kind of insane. But so we were studying that kind of later stuff. And I learned a lot, but it also turned me off from that, from that stuff. I kind of appreciate it more now, but it was too much for me at the time. I just kind of started writing pop songs to distract my brain during that time. All right, Max of Max and the Martians. So great chatting with you about your new record, All the Same. It's out now via Perpetual Doom. You can get a copy on limited edition white vinyl, black vinyl, or cassette via maxandthemartians.bandcamp.com. Max, record's out. What do you have planned for the rest of the year now that the album's out? I know you mentioned you're in the process of recording the next record. What, what's, what's next for you? That's a good question, but we're, I mean, it's, it's, things are up in the air. I've got some tour dates that are booked for Tuba Skinny at the end of the summer, so we'll see about that. Um, but I've been working on, a, on a, another record that I finished right before COVID hit um, that, I was, that my friend Duff Thompson was co-producing. So we're kind of, I'm kind of trying to wrap that up now, do a few overdubs and... Oh, wow. So, so you got like two records in the pipeline. Yeah. Well, like Damn. I said, this all, all the same... Um, it's old, old you know? yeah, I got you. So I'm better at recording than I am at putting out music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could I could record all day long, but the whole putting it out in the world is... But I, I, this is kind of nice. It's 
great putting out all the same. Like Lou at Perpetual Doom has been so helpful and supportive. Um, and I'm, as soon as I kind of wrap up this stuff that I've recorded before COVID, try to figure out, you know, a, a title, an aesthetic for it, see what goes on and send it out. And I'm, like I said, I was working on, I'm working on a new record right now with Ross Farb. So it's like my two favorite producers in New Orleans are Duff Thompson and Ross Farb. So make it, making a record with each of them. Shout out to both of them. We've got two Max and the Martians records in the pipeline. So everyone stay tuned. All right. So we're about to end the show with please remember everyone again, you could get this record, this awesome record, maxandthemartians.bandcamp.com. Max, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. When she walked away, she didn't stop to look behind. All that's on her mind is stuck inside. When she walked away, she didn't see me start to cry. She was